Yeah, here. We're fine. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Get in the Garage. I am your host, Mike. With me, as always, is Luke. Is Luke. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for listening once again. Um, today, uh, we will be covering Slowhand himself. Eric Clapton. Mr. Mister Eric Clapton. The woman tone. The woman tone. The... Um, the fool. J- the fool. Yeah. The, yeah. The fool. The... Uh, I don't know. I just I, I I'll have to say that Eric Clapton, pff, top three favorite guitar players of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me anyway. That's not everybody. That's not everybody. And I that's I definitely don't think it's me. But yeah, right, right, right. Of course. But I think for me, because uh, he was very much influential on my playing, and most specifically, like the John Mayall and the Blues Breakers album, also known as the Beano album. For me. I would say that, okay, the the style in which he plays was very influential, but it was a game changer in terms of what I thought was good tone. Yeah. You know, because, uh, I don't know, espe- like, especially towards, like, more so in the beginning of my musical uh, career, if you want to call it that, uh, it was very much, you know, like the mid-2000s and, like, you know, the Line 6 Spider L- listen, or whatever was, like, hot. Let me tell you about <laughs> you Mike. Know? When I met Mike, Mike was like, the solid state amp was fine and i was like uh no man tubes yeah and he was like what you're crazy and i was like no you gotta play tubes yeah and once i plugged into a tube amp down the rabbit hole mike went yep never looked back you know yeah and um clapton uh very much known for his uh for his tone so um so let's start out uh you know clapton young man uh England, right? He had he had kind of, he had a really weird like rough childhood. Long story short, was uh, his grand his mother was his grandmother and his sister was his mother. Yeah, and that's how he was raised, right? And he was what then they would call maybe like a bastard child, which is basically like his mother had like a one night fling with a man who was in the military. She got pregnant. Uh, in terms of like the what that meant in relation to her uh, society wise or whatever that's obviously especially back then that was something to kind of be ashamed of right so she kind of wanted nothing to do with him she had him so then she bounces and leaves eric with his grandparents right and they basically raise him and then he finds out a little bit later on obviously you know what the truth is and all that and then he was rejected by his mother his biological mother you know um, and I think that, uh, that kind of a trauma, um, was like a driving force. Absolutely. Like you see that kind of deal with like John Lennon too. Yeah. Where like John Lennon was kind of raised by his grandmother or I think his aunt mm-hmm. and like, you know, his mom was kind of like in and out at times yeah. and it ended up kind of in a way like being the driving factor. Yeah. Uh, if you look into a lot of it, um, most musicians have some kind of like a mother, trauma in their life mm. a lot of them do yeah there's like a uh, staggering number i think like tom petty uh mom died at uh younger when he was younger mm. and then like it always seems to like be that kind of like driving thing in, in some of these people's yeah. lives and i think with eric clapton specifically um you know rock and roll obviously was 
it was around, right? Uh, in in the form of the Elvises and the Little Richards and stuff like that, you know. Uh, but I think where it clapped and took like a hard turn was that I think where rock and roll tends to be kind of like let's forget about our problems and have a good time and do the twist. Blues was very much confronting that kind of like real heaviness quality right. that life has, uh, and maybe because of his early childhood traumas that that sort of uh, heaviness to things really resonated with him. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, so, and, and so, yeah, that brings him to playing guitar, right? And yeah. like the first thing he's ever played on is Five Live Yardbirds. So like that album is pretty, like it goes unnoticed at the time, but I mean, retrospectively it's so influential oh yeah Um, and like me and mike were like talking beforehand too like this was kind of like a little scene that was going on it wasn't like getting like super noticed but in that scene eric clapton was like the king guitar player like like these people had not heard somebody play like this before but like if you think about like the beatles are around right yeah you have like george harrison playing you know his kind of soloing which is kind of more like uh um uh, Carl Perkinsy, mm, like okay. influenced, where like Clapton's coming out, he's playing blues licks like hard. Yeah, he's um, he's definitely like yeah, the, the Yard- BB King, right. Muddy Waters, like that's where Clapton's coming out. Also, of. Five Live Yardbirds too, all American R and B and blues songs, which is pretty impressive. Like yeah. the whole thing, so that was like their whole vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Clapton was like what you would say like a purist, right? I mean, like as like kids tend to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, um, from what I have seen, he was incredibly stubborn in that way, which would end up being like the reason why he would eventually leave the Yardbirds when Four Year Love comes out because he's like, that's way too pop. I'm not doing that. Like, that's that's right. like mainstream radio stuff. Like, I'm trying to play like BB King. Right. And Four Year Love, you I know? think, is like 65. Uh, Five Live, I think, is 64. Mm. Um, and. Yeah, five live like we're hold, I'm holding the record right now. I don't have an original copy. I wish, guys. I have a Charlie Records repress, mm. which is oh, it's pretty garbage. <laughs> I'm over here like, oh, that's nice. No, like, it's, it's pretty garbage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so five live. It's all. I mean, you got Muddy Waters. I'm a man. Uh, it, you know, Smokestack Lightnings on here. Uh, Too much yeah, monkey Howlin business. Wolf, man. Yeah, so you're getting a lot of Chicago kind of stuff. Um, and it's just. His guitar playing is like with, it's up to par, man. I'm it, so, like, no, the the tone he's got great licks, the but um, two like the Yardbirds uh took like that music and like did like the rave up, right? Like they kind of invented that garage rock rave up thing. Yeah, you know, of like doing like putting on the double time and like raving up a solo, to, right, like, right, to extend <clears throat> the song. Yeah, like that was like the first, maybe like the first like in like you know like white boy rock and roll to like start like extending the song. Yeah, and Clapton was on the forefront of that with Cream, you know, in, in rock and roll, absolutely to do like the long impres- improvisation. Yeah, and like yeah, that like starts right here on his first recording. Um, yeah, and you can hear like. So uh, I think especially with uh, did you oh also, five live did you see how he's credited on the album Michael No I didn't what 
lead guitar. Oh, Eric Slowhand Clapton. Yeah, like you want to tell that story because like you. <laughs> yeah, so th- for the longest time, I didn't. I thought, okay, this is how like Cilia was for me. Like obviously, growing up, like you know who Eric Clapton is. Like if you don't, if you haven't heard "Wonderful Tonight," I don't know what you must have been living under a rock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like or at the very, or yeah, you know what I mean? Or at like least like Layla, or like at least the Eric Clapton unplugged version of Layla. At the very least, the slower or whatever. But um. Yeah, so I I thought initially because you know in my you know my my early uh, adolescent guitar player uh you know heavy metal heavy brain I'm just like this guy's this is a snooze fest man like you know and I thought that's why they call him slow hand because he just plays slow (laughs) I didn't know and I didn't do the research and back then you know what I mean I was way more concerned with like other you know I was concerned with what Shadows Fall was doing not what Eric Clapton was doing you know you like you see that dime bag guitar (laughs) yeah right right you know absolutely so um but yeah as it turns out yeah slow hand the nickname for slow hand comes from um so when Eric Clapton would break a guitar string because they would do these like rave ups right in double time which yeah. is like like the yeah. really fast like scratching yeah the absolutely and- um you know whenever he would break a string instead of like you know i mean i don't even think he had a guitar tech at the time anyway but you know what i'm saying like it, instead of having like an other guitar like at the ready in case he broke a string he would just change the string in the middle of the show I- like just hold up the set so he could change a string but people loved him so much and he was so much like the star, you know, yeah. that they would just start like slow clapping for him until he would finish re- like, you know, mending the broken string or whatever. Uh, and then they would kick into uh, that kick into the next song, you know. But that, it's weird because like if someone to if someone was to do that now, like if I went to a show now, right, right. and somebody broke a string and then they like literally just stood up that you'd think, oh, look at this pretentious. Oh, no, I've seen it been done in quite quite a few cool manners before have you yeah i have like See, i've been yeah. to many a show where this has happened and like it just like it makes it like more it makes it better like you you like end up like rooting for them you're like yeah like how are you gonna get out of it like yeah you, you yeah, know yeah. no i see that though i see that um but yeah so uh at the time clapton you know to get a little maybe like guitar nerdish or whatever at the time clapton is running through a very very classic kind of uh, setup that you would see at the time the Beatles were doing the same thing you get the Vox AC30 and then the guitar that you would have was usually maybe like an early Gretsch model or uh, like a Jazzmaster or like a uh, Telecaster um, and you know that's where I think that where you his guitar tone in this very much has that super bright shimmery kind of glassy sound that an AC30 would give you which is interesting because they're pushing it too. It's like that garage rock. It's right. Yeah. In the edge. Like you the, feel it in the fillings, you know, yeah. some of those, some of those solos. Like in your like, teeth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, what's funny is that this is when Clapton becomes Clapton in the sense that he, you know, he has, he has there's a reputation. Yeah, this there's is talk like, of Clapton in the, this in is the also shadows. The, yeah, <laughs> the, the Clapton is God. Uh, that's around the Yardbirds time as well. Yeah. When that's like spray painted on the walls. Mm-hmm. Like this, it was like a scene. Cause like, the Yardbirds were really trying to bring, like, the mission statement was authentic American R&B music. Right. You know? And yeah. that's what they were, like, trying to do, like, rhythm and blues. And yeah. they were, like, one of the first UK bands or, like, London bands to, like, yeah. be doing it. Right. And so, like, they, um, like, created a big following and, like, a, a scene, like, really evolved around that. Yeah. You and, know, and out that- of that. And, and the love for, 
you know, Northern Soul and all that. I think that was all brewing, but, like, the Yardbirds were, like, bringing it home. Because also they were, like, backing, like, uh, Sonny Boy Williamson because that record is released later once Clapton is uh, mm-hmm. uh, famous with Cream. That record came out um, where they backed uh, Sonny Boy. I think it's Sunny Boy, right? Yeah, it's Sunny Boy. Yeah, yeah it's Yardbirds with Sunny Boy. Williams. Yeah, yeah, that has Clapton on it, and like you know, they were really—that's what they were going for, and like they—they yeah. they were bringing that vibe, and they kind of created that scene, and they were kings of that scene because Clapton was like the most proficient guitar player, right? And if we're like talking to man, like who was like the first guitar hero in like the rock and roll, like blues rock kind of deal. Oh, it's apt to, it has to, it be, has Clapton. to be Clapton. He, the myth yeah. is Clapton is God. And so everybody, right, that, everybody right. that comes after him is like, well, I got, like it, it, I think it's all born. I, and it's uh, that yeah. scene too. And like, you know, where it's like Hendrix comes over and then Hendrix is the best. And then, you know, yeah. this guy plays, no, nah, no, nah, he's the best. And like, you know, yeah, you have yeah, like yeah. Townsend smashing his guitar and like me town, you know, it's, but they're all in that like same London scene and like yeah. it's that competition and Jeff Beck and they're all trying to outdo each other. Uh, that's what I, yeah, I think, I think that like just as the Beatles became the standard for like basically, at the very least in the United States, like every kid who like kind of like dug music and like rock music or whatever, just like in other words, just as much as the Beatles were that baseline. Yeah. That for guitar players, it was Clapton. Clapton was like the goal. You're like, I need to play something like that because um, jumping ahead just a touch. But like if you listen to one of the albums, um, uh, the Primal Solos album. Okay. That was th- actually this kind of like moves the the, yeah, so, the narrative on here anyway. But yeah, so like Clapton leaves after like we stated uh, for your love. Like, yeah. The the next Yardbirds like the the Yardbirds like start taking off right, and so they get like more managed. And as they're getting more managed, they come in and they're like, "All right, we got this song for you. It's got yeah. it's like um, I would say it's got like Eastern influence, right? Like." You know, for your loves, like definitely because it's got like the congas and like the yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and know. it's it's it well, it's got harpsichord too, right? Where that's something where you you know, it's, I mean, I mean, I love this song. This song is, I feel like this yeah. song is highly influential. Absolutely, it, like it's like you know, on the edge of quasi psychedelic. It definitely for a pop song, it's like psychedelic. Right. It's it's I love this song. I think it's super innovative, awesome. Anyway, but Clapton hears that and he's like, "That's not the blues. I'm out." Yeah. So he goes with the next best blues band on the market at the time who's yeah. playing American R&B blues. Yeah. And that's that's John Mayo. Yeah. So when he moves on, uh, he originally joins John Mayo. John Mayo had released one live album um, before Clapton came in. I don't really know who's the guitar player on that. But mm, the yeah, lineup right after is this would be 1966. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because six. Well, 65, 66 because Clapton leaves. The Yardbird in 65. Yeah, in 65. And then this is like this live, these live dates here, are April 66. So he's with John Mayo okay. for yep. like a short period. But um, yeah, and like uh, this, this lineup has originally had uh, John Mayo, Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, I posted this album the other day on my Instagram and I, I said, uh, like, proto cream. So yeah. that, this is where like cream comes in because Jack Bruce is on here. But yeah, this is like a London Records uh, collector series called John Mayo Primal Solos. Mm-hmm. Seek it out because I mean, if you're like a Clapton head, this album is super cool because it's got Jack Bruce and I think Jack Bruce is playing like the six string 
um, baritone guitar, mm-hmm. which is just like crazy yeah, the weird cool sounding. Uh, baritone. Yeah. Um, and then the B sides, the McTaylor band from '68. And I me found and that Mike, to be very underwhelming. Yeah. I, uh, the first time I listened to this, when I bought it, yeah, I thought it was garbage too, and I was just I'm only in it for that like little Clapton set on Let here. Let me just but say, it's, you, the yeah. Clapton set is really cool. It lines up. It makes it work. It, uh, to me, the Clapton set makes it justifiable to buy this record yeah and this record is only like a couple bucks that's what i mean you're not gonna like a rare record yeah you're not gonna pay like 20 bucks for this for this album you know what i mean you're gonna you you know five five six bucks at like your local record store shout out to mystic disc yeah mystic disc that's where i got mine yeah that's where i got (laughs) mine too so yeah john mayo primal solos it has a it's a cool like a timeline between if you're into Clapton, you listen to Five Live Yardbirds, and then you get to listen to that, and that's like yeah. uh, a little bit later, maybe like a year later, I think, you know, a year and a half, two years, whatever. And yeah. uh, it's you know you hear it's playing like a little different. It's more like it's more uh, expressive, and like you know he's got more blues licks down. It's yeah. you know he's like listening to more BB King, probably all this stuff, you know, all yeah. these different guitar players, and you really hear. It. Yeah, where it's coming in and Jack Bruce is on here. It's it's a really cool little set. But you can even hear like okay, on side 2, there's kind of the uh, the first two tunes where it's like a it's a pretty big band. It's where John Mayall starts introducing like a horn section and all that stuff. The last track on that is just a four-piece band. John Mayall, Mick Taylor. I don't know who's on bass uh the last track. Uh, I don't think it's any I mean Steve, Steve Thompson. Steve yeah, okay, so I don't know who that. Shout is. out to Steve. Steve. Scoop Steve. <laughs> um but but you even in that though you can absolutely hear the the Eric Clapton influence on, on Mick, Mick Taylor's Taylor. playing right. because Mick Taylor again you know he's got the sunburst Les Paul you know and that, at this point too let's also talk about um, the guitar tone and how it changes with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers so like not so yeah, now on the, on the back cover here too you have Eric Clapton playing a Les Paul and yeah. you have. A picture of Mick Taylor playing a Les Paul. A Les Paul. Paul, yeah. Mick Taylor's Les Paul's dope though. It's got the Bigsby like trem on the on the butt end of yep. it. I love those things. I just think it just look. It functionally they suck, but like they just look so cool. It's almost <laughs> worth dealing with it. Um. So yeah. So Clapton now comes from the uh like I said like the more Beatles setup, which is like uh you know maybe like a Fender or a Gretsch guitar running through a Vox AC30. Uh. The, the new, well, not maybe not the new, but in the sense to where within the musical community, the th- it's the Les Paul. The Les Paul's like the guitar, you know? It's just, it's all about the tone. You're not getting that thin, sort of bright, glassy tone that you're getting from a single coil pickup, which is offered by a Fender guitar. Um, and the Gretsch is, it, I think it's technically a humbucker, but it's voiced very much, you know, it's, it's a lot brighter voiced. Anyway, uh, so... Clapton picks up a, they don't know exactly what year it was, but assume that it was a 1960 uh, Gibson Les Paul standard. The For my guitar heads out there, uh, the way that you know is that 1960 is where they introduced the sl- 1960s slim tapered neck, which uh, changes the feel of the guitar pretty uh, dr- you know, dramatically uh, in comparison to the 1950s guitars where the necks have been referred to as like baseball bats. They're very, very thick. Um, so yeah, so he, he gets the, uh, the Gibson and then he, at the same time, uh, Jim Marshall, uh, created Marshall amps. And I think, didn't he create the first, wasn't the first Marshall amp created for the who, right? Yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, I think Pete, for Pete Townsend, cause Pete Townsend was like, I need something louder. Like build me something that's louder. Yeah. He was trying to make like that sheets of sound kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, so the windmills, not the so Clapton would eventually upgrade to the um, to like the big guitar stack that you would like iconically see him standing in front of in like the Cream Farewell at the Royal Albert Hall, and then obviously, I mean, at that point, everybody had like the Marshall Plexis, which was like the giant you know stack. Like Hendrix, you can see Hendrix standing in front of like two stacks of these Marshalls and stuff. But this was a bit more downplayed, where it was the Marshall. It's it's called the Marshall. It's it's called the Bluesbreaker amp because Eric Clapton used this amp on the Bluesbreaker album. I right. mean, if you so, if I mean the the amp is named after the album where it's uh, like iconically featured as the guitar amp. So because, that's how you know it's it was it was a groundbreaking album. Yeah. So this is the you know? the. Yeah, so it's John Mayall with Eric Clapton, also known as the Beano album, because Eric Clapton is disinterestedly looking at the children's comic <laughs> yeah. book Beano yep. on the front cover. Um, and this album is like the most influential British blues album of probably all time. I mean, the if you okay, if you go because I mean it's it's pretty up there. It's like Eric Clapton is like the, almost like inventing like the lick on the electric guitar the way like most players are like the people who are influenced from this record is like it's a it's amazing and like we were talking that primal solos like this is recorded like at the same time so it's like the same era of clapton so it's a really great companion piece to it which is you know why like i really highly recommend it if you're into yeah the beano album i mean talk about influential right any any really any guitar modeling amp or option always has a clean channel, has a, you know, whatever, like a distorted channel, whatever, almost always, nine times out of ten, there is a British tone programmed in there, like Brit rock or Brit blues it, or Brit something, tone. and it's literally modeled after that er- that exact Eric Clapton tone. Yeah. So, so if that doesn't speak volumes to how influential this was, not only uh, with guitar players who would who would come afterwards but just in the sense that it's just kind of like it's it's in, it's ingrained in the guitar culture right you know what i mean and so out of like this too you're getting like eric clapton coming out of it but also on the side note you get john mcvee on bass which on I, the blues breakers album so like if you think of like how the Yardbirds birthed you know eric clapton and the blues breakers into you know uh you have John McVie on bass, and then you get Fleetwood Mac formed, and then like all these musicians yeah. formed out of these bands, and it's like the legacy, especially the Blues Breakers album, of like having you know John Mayall, and then Alpha John Mayall would form all these other great bands like Fleetwood Mac and Cream, and oh yeah, man. you know, uh, and if you Mick think Taylor leaving the Rolling Stones, and even the Yardbirds having you know Eric Clapton, yeah. then Jeff Beck, then Jimmy Page. Like these two, the Yardbirds right. and John Mayall would birth almost every other like successful like yeah. British blues band at some to some extent. Like if I mean, you the were only, all, they're all connected into like that family tree that's rooted from I these would, two bands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say the only guitar player who might be excluded from that would be uh, Pete Townsend. Yeah, but it's like the Who were still kicking ass anyway. It's not like the Who weren't kicking ass. You know what I mean? Like they didn't need to. They were just a great band from the jump. So, uh, you know. Uh, but that's that's what's but, interesting. But even to yeah. that point, man, like even to that point, you still have the connection from Jeff Beck's uh, Truth album. You have Keith Moon and Enzo's oh, yeah. play on that. So you know what I mean? It's still yeah. like inter- intertwined and all those bands existed Absolutely. together. And they were all pals too. You yeah, know? like they were the all Stones like and the Who were like best friends. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that kind of deal too. It's yeah. like, you know, even the camaraderie, like they all play on all those records together. Yeah. 
And it's, but that's that's it's, what shows you though. It's it's like all all the great musical movements seem to be birthed out of like a community of of musicians who right. all like come together and be like, all right, we're all gonna try to do this thing. You Definitely. Know? And um, so yeah, the the Beano album. Like I mean, Mike. This is like one of Mike's favorite records of yeah, all time. Pro, yeah, easy top five favorite albums of all time. Like he got to play out with one of those, like a reproduction of one of that of that amp, <sighs> and like he would not, he wouldn't shut up about it for like years. It was amazing. Yeah, like he's, it was amazing. I play, and it was like um, I played uh, the owner of it, a good friend of ours. Shout out to Bob, um, but he um, he also had a, I think it was a '77 Les Paul. So like plugging a '77 Les Paul into like a Tube Screamer type of pedal into the the Bluesbreaker amp was just like it was like the it was like the clouds parted <laughs> you know like the heavens opened up because it's like that's my that's like my bucket list tone man that's like that's the amp that I at some point in my life would I want to own that amp like it's because it's just it's amazing anyway I'm rambling on about no like my self indulgence the, the Beano album is great what songs on here would you like shout out as a guitar player where you're just like yeah that's these are my jams um, or not even as a guitar player just like ones that you love. I mean, Parchment Farm is badass, even though that's like that features heavily uh, John Mayall playing harmonica. Right. Uh, but I mean, I. What's the the first song on side two? I think that one's. Key like, to Love. Oh, my. That one's. Down, 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 Oh, yeah. It's, I mean. Yep. I love uh, that. Stepping Out's great. I mean, look, this is one of the albums. And the thing is, is that they're so. And these, these songs are standards. So, like, yeah. And it's, you know what I mean? Like, originally, like, the artists that do with these songs are, you know, amazing and great and you should look back on them but like i'm talking like for british white boy blues like th- these this album became everybody did these songs after well and i think what's unique about this in comparison to maybe like the yardbirds where the yardbirds did do original music that was very influential um what you see here is you see uh uh may really trying to uh, kind of pave a way in terms of being like, oh, like I can also ble- be a blues songwriter. In other words, I don't have to keep covering Willie Dixon songs. Right. I don't have to keep covering Muddy Water songs, whatever. Like we can write our own blues. You know what I mean? And I think, and like I said, all these, I mean, this album is so accessible in that way too, where it's like every song is pretty much under f- five. Okay. Have you heard is five minutes and 55 seconds. That's the longest cut on the album, but the shortest cut on the album is a minute and 45 and everything else ranges around like the two minute mark. So I'm just saying like, it's like the Beano album. Check yeah, it out. It's just so good. The yeah, playing it's is amazing. great. It's really where Clapton is like first, you know, I don't know. I think this is where Clapton uh, has his own personality. Yeah. Really and, like, the, and it just added to the whole kind of like mythos, right? Myth of, uh, of what Eric Clapton was and who he was and all that stuff. And I'll end. It would kind of come to, uh, fruition in a way where he would become part of, and I thought about this too, man. Okay, they in a way kind of gave birth to the power trio in the rock setting, right? right. Cream, but also they were like one of the first like super groups. Like I was thinking in my mind of like super groups, you know, because that's kind of a thing. I, I remember in like the two thousands there was like a there was a, a chicken foot. Like that's a super group. It's like <laughs> oh Sammy Hagar, Joe Satriani, you know, whatever. But yeah. what I'm, but what I mean to say is, it's just kind of like, well, here, here you have uh, Eric Clapton, who people are literally spray painting Clapton is God on like defacing public property, <laughs> and then you have Jack Bruce, monster bass player, formerly of Manfred Mann, formerly of Manfred Mann, you know, and uh, and then you have Ginger Baker, 
like who is formerly a Bedford man, but um, uh, they were also in uh the Grand Bond organization. Yeah, Grand Bond. Yeah. Yep. So like Grand Bond was like more of a jazzy outfit, mm-hmm. and they would play like jazz songs, jazz covers, uh, blues. Um, I think Grand Bond was you know played. Sa- I think Grand Bond was saxophonist. Uh, keys player I'm I don't sure. I'm not too sure on that one. Oh, I think keys I don't know Maybe. I definitely have like one of the I have like a Warner Brothers like green label album upstairs that has Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker it has like every era of the Grand Bond organization on mm. it um but yeah they were like kicking around too at the same time but they were mi- like much more jazz based yeah and that's where Jack Bruce he kind of cut his teeth as a bass player on an upright bass yeah because he was more of a purist really and Ginger Baker was more playing jazz drums heavy influence yeah, yeah so like he was like drums. playing jazz yeah. and they come in to cream through more playing like through manfred man and then maybe more playing like the blues kind of thing yeah. and then you know they all find themselves bandless at one point and clapped in really you know uh from jack bruce playing with uh john mayo yep like we talked about in that primal solos record and they knew each other so they all form a band together right and that band is cream and they call themselves cream because they were the cream of the crop they were the cream of the crop it's like yeah. so cocky but it's so true it, yeah no i mean it absolutely is and um, so fresh cream is what 66 um uh, i believe so. I so no it's 67 67 that's what it says on the back of this record here okay we'll get we'll get the official uh yeah we'll get the official but yeah so 67 fresh cream comes out and like i don't know man this this album just plays so 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 good to me like I love I Feel Free, you know. Um, what else is on here? Yeah, I'm so glad. I mean that, you know, and they didn't, and they do like rolling and tumbling. Uh, Toad's um, on there too, right? The the drum solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even the liner notes, yeah. Um, it all started four months ago as rumors. It seemed hard to believe that three such musical giants as Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, and Jack Bruce could be joining together. Soon it became reality. Cream were formed, and here they are. This album is made up of pure, fresh cream. Digest and enjoy it. But do not worry too much. There is a lot more where this has come from. Yeah, it cream. was December December 66 in the UK. December 66 was the UK release? <clears throat> yes, that is correct. And then I, it probably in America in the 60s. I mean, because if it's, if it's, you know. Yeah. Also, December, you know, end of the year. So probably in America, you got it in '67. But um, uh, for for people like, let's just talk. Like, I mean, I listened to this album the other day. Like, if this is '67, th- they entered in, they they pretty much took psych like psychedelic, you know, culture. Yeah. And influence, and I mean, at least Eric Clapton's guitar solo at the beginning of uh, uh in, uh, ugh, in the middle of I feel free yeah. is so like groundbreaking for like the psychedelic solo. I feel like it, it, he was just like, this is what a psychedelic rock solo sounds like. Like it's so, you know, it's just, I, I can't think of anything else. that sounds like as amazing as that solo. Yeah. It's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's like the, it's like hangs yeah. in the air. It's got like a whole different feel than like, well, in you know? comparison to like the 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 blues break, like the Beano album, yeah, you know, you're like, oh, this is kind of a new, different sort of Clapton, yeah, and it's you know? like it's the blues, you know, as like I I've heard them like reference it, like the blues with polka dots. It's like what he was like <laughs> saying, you yeah. know, and like I mean, for me, I love when I first I remember the first time I listened to this record. It, I mean, I found it 
in a somebody gave me a box of like moldy moldy ass records. <laughs> yeah, but like, isn't that how the story always goes? Yeah, though. so someone's like, "Yeah, you like records," and they drop them off, and then now I have a box. Of, this is when I was in high school, so I had a box of like moldy psychedelic records. But I knew they were you know psych looking because the covers, and I was like, "Okay, yep. so this some of these might be cool." And there was Hendrix in there. And so I like took them out and they were all damaged, like the water damaged, but I cleaned them off and they were like okay enough ish mm-hmm. to listen to. And like one of them was fresh cream. And I remember I put it on and it, I mean, it was mind blowing. I mean, uh, NSU sleepy time time, which is like one of my favorite cream songs of yeah. all time. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, man, like there's so many cool songs on here. <sighs> I mean, like driving in my car, yeah. smoking my car. Like, I just love all that. All the drums on here are so innovative. Yeah. Like, as rock drumming, that's, like, the first heavy, heavy rock drumming I can, like, think of oh, from yeah. that, like, time period. Like, like Mike said, from the Beano album to this, it's just, like, so much style was put into it. And, like... Absolutely. It was, like, psychedelic blues. And, like, what I like about Side 1 is Side 1 is more of their personal statement, whereas Side 2 is more of, like... I mean, at least on the U.S. version. I, I think the U.K. one might be a little bit different. Um, but like, yeah. And then like side B, it's really more of like traditional songs. Mm-hmm. You know, you got like their take on rolling and tumbling for until late, uh, you know, cat squirrel. Yeah. But, and then <laughs> I'm so glad the skip James song and then, you yeah. know, toad is just a drum solo. Like, a, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah. So side two, you kind of get like the classic blues through the cream psychedelic filter. And then, you know, and then side one is mostly them writing, you know psychedelic songs through the blues filter which is like it's like almost like yin and yang backwards forwards yeah kind of thing and i really enjoyed that i kind of picked up on that like this year when i was like listening to this record and i was like oh that's kind of what they did it's all yeah you know and it's interesting how like he left the yardbirds because they were not so purist blues to go to a purist blues band and then just to go back to something that was a bit more experimental you know he kind of like needed it's like it's just interesting how things played out, you know. It was like he needed to do like the blues purest album in order to like unlock like the next level for himself, kind of thing, you know. Like which was to, which was to be like, okay, now the way now it, let's explore. The way I kind of see it is like he sometimes like he looks like to me like throughout his career he would like conquer something, and then once he conquered it and like became the best at it, he was just like disillusioned instantly. Yeah, every time. Yeah, because and, even, and then made him move in another direction that like. Whether you liked it or not, it just kept making him move in different directions. Yeah, and I think and that... always pretty much becoming one of the best at it. Like even like if we're talking like let's talk way ahead at this point. Yeah, into like the soft rock era, like mm-hmm. in the '80s and '90s. I mean, unplugged. His unplugged album is like one of the biggest albums of all. Oh time. yeah, probably one of the most. Definitely, I would say. Probably one of the most played Eric Clapton albums. Even like like oh, what's that song? My father's eyes. Like yeah. that is a that was a huge song for him, and it's like a, a completely different era and a completely different style. Yeah. Like c- completely different style than Cream. Well, you listen to Cream, and then you hear like Forever Man, and you're like, what? Yeah, and it's like that. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not. I'm not saying like all that stuff's my deal, and like me and Mike like are kind of like, yeah, we're gonna talk to like about Derek and the Dominoes because that's where me and Mike really kind of it falls off for us after that. <laughs> yeah, once Clapton, hard. once Clapton goes solo it's just like for yeah. me it's when Clapton starts playing that Stratocaster man yeah but see that's the that's the that's the thing is like the switch to the Strat initially was not like a terrible move because you got Derek and the Dominoes out of it but it's like on Derek and the Dominoes you still have not on all the songs but you still have a, a Dwayne Allman 
coming in and ripping on his on his on his Les Paul. So you you still you know what I mean. You you have that kind of a tone on there, but right. So um, Cream Power Trio. Uh, also, Mike, like you know, let's we're back with Mike for a guitar minute. Tell us about like the woman tone, like why you know, like the tone of Eric Clapton's guitar here again inf- yeah. influences a whole nother like a whole nother genre and like you know generation oh, of guitar, absolutely. Like, you know incarnation of guitar players yeah so like because because he has the les paul what the les paul offers right is it's a it's a what it's called uh, a humbucking pickups right so basically you kind of like you take long story short you like take two single coil pickups and you freaking you, you stick them together and basically a single coil pickup running through an amplifier will have like a natural hum you'll just hear like a you know, you hear something like that. But what they found was that if they stick two of them right next to each other, it eliminates that hum. But what it also does is it offers a much richer, more saturated, uh, darker, kind of more mid-ish kind of a tone. So what Clapton ended up doing was what he found was if he rolled the tone knob back, it would create kind of it, it kind of like a muffled um like a muffled tone but when he but okay so that happens but you run it through like a fuzz pedal through a giant stack of amplifiers behind you it does this really unique thing where it adds like a lot of like this uh this sweetness yeah so he literally the, the creates tone. another famous tone called the woman tone yeah, right and so that's, he has that's like the thing. blues breaker tone which is like you know uh every like guitar guitar players still talk about it and use it to this day yeah and then the woman tone is his psychedelic one and guitar players still talk about it to this day because it was like Dude, such a different when, thing when i time. discovered the woman tone i it was probably like I, I there was a good year where my tone was always rolled off i just like like you know when we were we luke and i had a band called heavy krishna at one point that was very much influenced by like the sounds of cream and mountain and the like uh, and during that time, man, yeah, it was just like I would crank the amp, you know, super saturated with like um, overdrive and stuff like that, and then just roll that tone knob down, and it just created such a unique sound that I just I loved so much. And his guitar too, I like one of the first guitars to be like painted psychedelic. By right, the, we by get the, the fool. Yeah, the yeah. fool, which is like I think the artist's name is also the fool. Um, okay. So, like, the fool was his um, was a Gibson SG. Yes. And but it was, at that that model was probably still called the Les Paul because it was like. Oh yeah, I wouldn't know, but it's yeah. like psychedelic painted. It's beautiful, um, and that guitar is past hands, and it was uh, also played by Todd Rundgren yes. heavily in the seventies, who owned it for a long time. I think he still owns it. No, Todd plays a copy of it today. I think he sold it. Oh really? Yeah. Maybe like charity or like a, I don't know. I think you know, he sold donation. It. I to, think he just sold it at one point and he didn't rhythm. own it anymore. And then yeah. in the nineties, he just started playing like a repro of it because he yeah. was so he was also heavily connected to it. But I mean, it is Clapton made it famous? You know? Yeah, I mean that like that BBC special where they're ask they're talking about Eric. Oh Clapton yeah, look and, that like, up, guys. Yeah, like if, if we're like pointing you in directions and albums to listen to, things to look at, uh, that BBC documentary of their Cream's last yeah, the show, farewell show. Yeah. yeah, he really goes over like the woman tone and everything. And yeah, and the wah pedal too, because like the wah pedal was kind of a new thing. You know, that was kind of like yeah, a new he hip innovated thing to use. that sound too. Absolutely, like, I loved listening to Fresh Cream. I love Fresh Cream so much. Like I feel free is such a innovative track. Like it's so out there. Like yeah. it. It takes like for your love for the Yardbirds and just like kicks the crap out. It. It's <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it rocks so much harder. Yeah, well, even like the intro, like the bump, 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 bump. Ugh. 
it's like that hits so hard like it yeah. you know the band was like they were really cool, like in the the harmonies and melodies that like I well, was Jack I was listening Bruce to it in so headphones. Animated. Yeah, like his voice you is know? so crazy, and like Eric Clapton's voice is so wispy, and like they layer really cool on top of each other. Yeah. Like the even like the yeah, like yeah, when you're I listening to that. that in headphones, it I was it was melody. wicked cool. Um, so yeah, Fresh Cream comes out. I mean, that's like a groundbreaking album, but the. The real kicker is the follow-up. Disraeli Gears. Yeah, Disraeli Gears. on the bottom of the stack there. Oh, here it is. Yes. Uh, and yeah. this And this the, is, even the album cover just screams... Psych- like psychedelia. Psychedelia. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that hot pink color with all the crazy kind of uh, uh, collage-like I think this overlaid. Is the, this might be the same artist that painted Clapton's guitar, too, but I'm not, I'm not positive on oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the it looks... You know, stylistically, it looks very similar. But that was the that I mean, that was the style of the psychedelic era. Anyway, it was very like uh, very you know like bright, saturated colors and yeah. So all kinds of I mean, designs. this album is you know the this is you get the Bruce Brown. That's mm-hmm. the other like the writing partner. Like, and yeah. let's talk to like Jack Bruce is one of the most innovative like um, electric bass players. Oh yeah, man. of the time, like Absolute, he he comes from like down. the upright period, and then like really just brings like he's like how would you describe it? Thumpy, like he's very he's rubber bandy, and he's not well the busy. Thing, definitely he, busy, noodly, definitely yeah. noodly. Oh yeah, but I think with him because of the, the heavy jazz influence, he's not afraid to play sour notes. So if mm-hmm. you listen to like the say like um. I'm so glad on the goodbye album. Yeah, There's a point there where he's like, like all these crazy, what sounds like wrong notes, but there's, it's just so searing and like controlled chaos that you're like, all right, like you, you take it anyway. You're like, all right. Right. And like, okay, so let's talk to uh, Felix Papillardi produces this one, right? <laughs> Felix Papillardi. I think he does. He's a producer. Yeah, he's a producer Disraeli. on Disraeli Gears. I thought he'd produce both of them. I thought he did Fresh Cream and Disraeli Gears. Or was it Disraeli Gears and wheels of fire maybe it's got the end oh yeah uh felix produces yeah felix who would then go on to be the bass player for the band mountain which we have we talked about in our power trios episode yeah power trio episode check that out uh yeah so you know felix papillardi's on this he really produces some of these songs and then you get like the uh bruce brown collaboration which is bringing like a more poetic psychedelic lyric in yep um you know the album opener strange brew it's a blues song you know, the solo on there is awesome. It's, oh, it's classic so woman tone, right? Yeah. And then, like, you know, it's, you know, got spooky, spookier lyrics. I really love that song. That's yeah. probably my favorite on here. Um, you get the classic Sunshine of Your Love. Um, Which, I mean, Sunshine of Your Love, I mean. It's the classic think, psychedelic song. Everybody and think about that, it. just that. Like that, just that idea as like a guitar riff has been recycled and reused. So it's like when, it's like when Black Sabbath did the tritone. The bow, bow, bow. Yes. Like how many, how many metal bands after that would incorporate that into their musics? Likewise with Sunshine of Your Love, just like Smoke on the Water. Like there's just these kind of and nuanced things. It's like that. the first, it's almost like proto metal yeah oh absolutely it's so heavy yeah very much very much influencing um, uh and, you know like the stoner metal yeah like and the, the guitar is double track too mm-hmm. like that innovation of having it like sound heavier like the the solo you can hear it coming like out of bolts you know it's like yeah. it's double tracked on it you could tell it's it's so cool like and I the, get, even the solo that he takes and on, the lyrics are like 
overtly psychedelic too yeah. you know and that's like the whole other layer of it i think it's like the perfect summer you know of love psychedelic -y, you know and it yeah. goes with like the album cover so psychedelic too it's just dude even like and the guitar playing on there is so great i mean like sunshine of your love is like another like smoke of the water kind of one you absolutely know? absolutely um side two is pretty killer too though because oh you God. have like tales of brave ulysses which like let's be real is the same song as um <laughs> Uh, white room. <laughs> yeah, like it's literally it's basically the same song. It doesn't like, matter though. It, yeah, it, it I just, it I like matter. it better than White Room. Oh, me too. I love Tales of Brave Ulysses. Uh, and then um, um, Outside Woman Blues is so good, crazy good. So Disraeli, good. Mike was trying to tell me that like he's like yeah, Live Cream's where it's at, and I was like no man, listen, Fresh Cream and Disraeli Gears are great, great albums, yeah. studio albums of just like psychedelic awesomeness. You know it and like it has. You know the blues thing going on, but it's also so guitar based in a, in another direction. Yeah. Also on here is uh, <laughs> but the rainbow has a beard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, S S W L A B R Swamwar. Yeah, whatever the heck that name of that song is. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's like the B side to uh, it's I think it's the B side to Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, no, it is because I have that I have that forty five at home. Yeah, it's I mean <laughs> I love that song too. Yeah. You know, you just got that rainbow feel. Yeah. And that's what and the, I mean going back to Jack Bruce, man, just as a vocalist too. Like so it's expressive. so expressive. Yeah. I love Jack Bruce. So animated, so like just so like And Clapton's uh guitar, like the bam 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 digga 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 dum. Yeah. You know. Like you hear yeah. how double tracked it is. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's I his mean, guitar on this album. I I mean I love it. And like I'm not like I'm uh, this if the, any Clapton era is uh, mine, it's Cream. I mean like I've talked on the show before how yeah. like you know Cream, how much I love Cream, and how like you know for me they were such a you know band that could branch off to so many other you know absolutely yeah yeah they're and, they make they make a lot of other bands more accessible yeah also like you know, you know if we're talking you want to dive deeper into this i think uh there's a classic albums episode of disraeli gears that oh I yeah think i'm sure when i yeah. was younger got me uh definitely i think was what really pushed me to listen to more cream was, yeah man like that episode and there's like nothing wrong with that guys like those classic albums like episodes are great. That's how I discovered the band. Yeah, like, like let's not get pretentious in that way where we're like, I need a Martin Scorsese directed documentary if it's gonna be worth it for me to watch it. It's like, no man, you can you can watch that one classic albums that aired on like VH1 in like two thousand three like, on uh, Thursday great. night. You know, those were yeah, great, and they man. gave me so much context too. Like even the one like on Pink Floyd when you're a young kid and you're like you're just like trying to grasp the concept of the, like because everyone's yeah. like there's a concept there's a concept album and you're like 11 13 you're like right you're right like, oh what the heck are they talking about like right. and then it would give you like context to it and then they, there were fun ones too like there was like meatloaf one there was a nirvana one like check oh, yeah. those out because there is definitely one on disraeli gears i watch and it made me like really pumped up to like listen to that record and like really yeah. gave me context to it yeah, yeah. So after Disraeli Gears, what is it? It's White Room. Uh, sorry. White uh, Room. Uh, White Room. Well, White Room's on it, but yeah, Wheels of Fire. Yeah, Wheels of Fire comes out. Which is also equally a pretty cool, like, psychedelic cover. I mean, I love the album art. For yes. I love the album art on, like, every album. This album, I don't hate, but it's definitely, like, it, it gets weaker for me on this one. Yeah. Um, but it also, you get introduced to the live cream. Yeah. Which is, like, Which where... would come to kind of define them, I think. Right. You know, and the the live, live era is for me. I'm like, that's I mean, that's our favorite. Oh you know? yeah, 
I mean, for me, like cream changed the way that I even just like looked at like how mu- how live music could be played. Right. You know, because everything, especially coming out of, I I, I feel like stupid for because I, I keep saying it but like especially coming out of like the metal thing where like everything was deliberate there was a very specific way in which you played everything yeah like psychedelic jamming like hearing uh, that for the first yeah, time was it just blew my mind yeah me I'm too like, oh and my god I mean, you can do that yeah like, like that's allowed <laughs> yeah like we talked to like it's not like the grateful dead jam either it's no, like yeah and it, that's that's the thing it's I so love intense the, that's the thing it's it's like that's the thing I love the most about it yeah. is how not Grateful Dead jammy it was because I was like this is just like and it's everything not I love Almond Brothers jammy either right right it's like yeah. heavy jamming so like you have three guys who are basically coming out of like the jazz school of it that when they're when they are extendedly jamming they're jamming in like a bebop form almost mm. or like a um, free jazz at right, times right. where they're making like complete noise and they're trying to outplay each other at everything so like yeah. it's the competitive playing nature of it. And like to talk to man, they do crossroads on here, which, which is, becomes like the collapsing classic. Like, oh yeah, anytime you're like listen, like the other day, it's like I was listening to the radio, and they're just like Eric Clapton. It's a double play weekend, and they're like, sure as shit, crossroads is on. You know what I mean? Like it comes up, man, because it's like it's just one of the. It's in my opinion, it's one of the greatest like live cuts. Right, like you get, I mean, that side of the record, you know, and let's yeah. talk, too, about, like, how this record is one of the first rock and roll double albums, you know, where you would have, like, yeah. the studio side, the live side, you know, uh, I right. know, like, the Birds did that in 69, like, a ton of people would kind of... Mountain would end up going off to do that, too. Yeah, live, and, yep, and, like, but, the, yeah, the double album in rock and roll, too, like, I think, I think this is 67, right? Uh, 68 this is but yeah this is like one of that era when this is first happening and like just like the sets like just for people to hear i can't imagine what people because like me and you like our minds were blown in like the 2000s when we heard it yeah i can't imagine what people were like thinking of then because you also have this is the new yeah you also have the 16 minute well and that's what i think is so interesting. also did you ever notice crossroads on here is edited you ever hear the cut in it Oh no! Yeah, there's cuts in it. Is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That song oh, was much longer. I didn't um, know that. I think Spoonful might be edited as well. But there's like a oh my god! But that version 16, of Spoonful, it's 16 minutes and 44 and that, seconds on. That's here. the thing I love about this though, because if you think about it, man, you're coming out of like the very, very British like singles game, right? right? We've talked about this before, where like the like the American way of consuming music was like you know we would do the album, but the I UK mean, was very much yeah to some extent yeah, but I mean even in the US, the more the case was you would get the single on the album. Oh right, right, right. When you right, bought right. it, you would get the single on the album. So like that's why our Beatles albums are all like uh with you know filled with singles only from the UK, where like right. you would get you know uh the album would come out and then there'd be a single that wasn't on the album, so you would right. have to buy both. Right. But they were like in the Beatles, you know, they would get the second. They would still be kind of in the same period, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but I but that's what I mean though is I love how like there is this kind of paradigm shift where it's like no now you will listen to a sixteen minute, minute version of, of Spoonful you know and that and that I think that in a way would also pave the way they were the innovators for, like, for yeah. the Grateful Dead for everybody to jam well yeah or even the even the, even even the like when you would you would like later get like a song like Echoes from Pink Floyd it's just kind of like no now people can listen to like a twenty minute song you know it's 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 within your grasp like the I feel. Like 
like before you had these real like deep cuts and stuff, the only like really long songs you might find is like somewhere in, in the jazz realm. Right. You know what I mean? Or classical music. Pop, okay. So uh, you're pop music in that, we're, that sense. We're speaking highly to the long form song. So let's, I'm going to play devil's advocate because I do enjoy listening to a, a 16 to 20 minute song. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I can get down with it, especially with the vinyl format. But, um, so like let's talk like the devil's advocate version of it is Clapton would tend to lean on this long version and bands would do this where they would like have like a short repertoire of songs and then keep stretching them out. You know what I mean? And then, oh, yeah. and then it would become that was actually the downfall of Cream really right, was the aggressive right. playing against each other and well, then not yeah. writing stronger stronger and, songs and that i mean yeah that that was i think the 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 big driving force behind even i mean okay there was a lot of interpersonal relationship issues with jack bruce and ginger baker but eric clapton obviously that contributed but i think for clapton he listened to music from big pink yeah the like, band and, and he was like oh he was realizing songwriting yeah. not playing for the sake of playing and because that's what cream ended up becoming was they were just a band that just like played crazy and busy the whole time just for the sake of playing because it, because people were like oh well this is just what cream does they got lost in the sauce yeah absolutely no 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 i mean for yeah. real man yeah so it, but even around this, the time of this album coming out you know what i mean uh we're talking wheels of fire yeah and that i mean if you want to talk songs on that i mean it's got uh politician which is uh, probably my favorite cream song uh, of all time if you want the definitive and, and version like, it's on the next record though goodbye cream oh yeah but like let's I mean, I dude, I listened to Politician the other night, and I'm like, oh, this was written whatever 1968, and for so, and it just it still feels so relevant right now, right? You know what I mean? Because I think that like the today's political climate leaves a lot of us kind of like confused and like not really knowing, kind of questioning, you know, what is my political view? What are my more? What are my you know this kind of introspective sort of thinking. And I th- and I think that when I listened to, to Politician, I was like, oh, man, yeah, like this that's is one a of really, my favorite songs. This is a time. really clever way about talking about politics. That's very much away from maybe say like how punk would incorporate politics into to, the to way to stand that outside music. the box of it, too. You know yeah, what I mean? And yeah. just kind of comment. He on says, the situation. He's like, I, su- I support the left, but I'm leaning to the right, you know, like where he's like basically like I'm just kind of like trying to do this balancing act of like figuring out like, you know, like politically like what's going on you know i think i oh, hear it see, that way i hear I, it like a bigger picture oh when i listen to it i kind of get like the vibe of it being like uh like the the politician really not having any worth of like standing in one direction you know what i mean because yeah. i i leaning both ways like yeah what it, well i'll show you what my politics are you know depending on what you right, what you right, want right. kind of thing you yeah. know kind of like the, the facade yeah because he says hey baby get into my big black car yeah you know I want to so, show yeah. you what my politics are you yeah. know it's like it's dirt you know the dirty like you yeah. know that's yeah. how I but see it's, it but yeah I mean there's you know it's just it's there's some great there yeah, is some also, great songwriting but like also on Disraeli Gears you have uh, uh, Take It Back you know Take that thing right out of here yeah. which is like you know kind of like their protesty song too on that one yeah yeah. So, but again, now at by the time we get to like wheels of uh, fire cream, this is the I feel like this is kind of like the beginning of the end because like then you get oh, you know there's born, like, a, born under a bad signs on here too. I oh, don't know yeah. why I I I I feel like I listened to this a while ago and I didn't think it was as good, but I feel like it's all good. the cream albums are great. Yeah. No, it's good, and that's a um, Albert King tune. 
Yeah, I mean, seek out that album too by Albert yeah. King, Born Under a Bad Sign. They're they're just covering it pretty much straight here. Yeah, but I mean, it's like I it's mean, still good. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, like I mean, too, like um, Cream led me and Mike to so many original blues artists too. Oh yeah, I mean, like listening to like you know Crossroads on here, it definitely led us to Robert Johnson. Like, well, because you you look at like a songwriting credit and you're like Robert Johnson. And this, and what's so funny is, is like you listen to the Robert Johnson Crossroads, and it couldn't be more different, right? And that, you know? and but that you're shows, still like, oh. and that shows how like Clapton would innovate the blues for the electric right. guitar as well, right, right. for everybody else to follow later. You yeah, know? speed it up, distort it, make mm-hmm. it kind of yeah, make it more accessible in this kind of uh, atmosphere. You know, this sort of communal atmosphere. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And then the next album, Goodbye Cream, too. Like, if we're talking, like, live Cream, I would, we would also, like, seek out um, anything yeah. live from Cream. It, it's usually amazing. The jamming is good. And if you like it, like, the studio records, I think you, you will really appreciate, like, the, the uh, virtuosity of their yeah. playing. Um, I mean, Goodbye Cream has my, my favorite take of Politician on it. It's also got the crazy, awesome version of I'm So Glad. Oh, I love it. it. I, it it's really like the, a farewell. It. Yeah, I love I mean, me and Mike go crazy over those live versions of yeah. like Politician and I'm So Glad. Uh, so good. I mean, like the, the, the cowbell intro to I'm So Glad. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's it, it just does it for me, man. It just does it for me, you know. Yeah, and I mean, if we're talking like the vital format, which, you know, obviously I'm more familiar with everybody. If you've been listening, you know, uh, Live Cream, uh, Live Cream Volume 2 and Goodbye Cream uh, have, you know, live cuts on it. So does, um, obviously, like we were just talking about uh, Wheels, of, Wheels Fire. of Fire. yeah. You know, the whole second record's live. So, I mean, that's where we're, I'm coming from. Also on here is uh, Badge, which... Uh, oh, yeah. Eric Clapton. Is that the one George Harrison? I don't know if a credit it says Clapton, but um I'm pretty sure what Harrison's on it. Uh but that I, that kind of stuff happened all the time back then anyway. Like like Clapton getting didn't get the credit for the solo on uh While My Guitar. Right, yeah, you I know, because um, it's all like rights and who I can I think one of the songs on Goodbye Cream has a uh, George Harrison helped write it though. Mm. But um yeah, so anyway. You got all that going on. Yeah. Uh, Cream is kind of wrapping up, like we said, because of the long jamming. Uh, Clapton really hears um, the band's music from Big Pink, like Mike had said. And yeah. it really uh, – and there was a uh, review in Rolling Stone um, that was quite critical of Cream and said that they were like kind of like fluff. Because, like, I mean, there was an artistic movement happening – you know, around, you know, Big Pink where, like, you had Bob Dylan kind of, like, getting, you know, country rockish. Yeah. Uh, John Wesley Harding, I think, comes out around that period. And then, you know, music for Big Pink is, like, 68. And you kind of got this, like, Let's Go Soft, uh, The Flying Burrito Brothers, mm-hmm. um, Sweetheart of the Rodeo by the Birds. You know, that there's this kind of movement. Um, yeah, because you, uh, uh, like, all this stuff's happening in... in uh the UK, but meanwhile in California, you know what I mean? There's a lot brewing. You have the Beach Boys, you've got, especially once Psychedelia starts happening, you have like the Grateful Dead, the uh, Janis Joplin and the... Um, right, with, and um, as influential as Cream were, because they influenced everybody. Yeah. They kind of like lit the match a little bit, you know, especially for like the rock show too, like the Fillmore concert, like yeah. the, what you, like what everybody thinks of the Fillmore concerts, that comes straight out of Cream. Like Cream... Oh, yeah. 
Cream were, were so big in the U.S. too. Like they toured the U.S. heavily. They were so big, so influential. They influenced yeah. everybody, especially yeah. like having those big concerts like that at the Fillmore and really creating like the psychedelic scene. Yeah, you know where they would lay down like that kind of like groovy, jammy atmosphere. But like it, like the Cream swallowed itself whole and Clapton realized like after he read like that review of himself where he, you know they were like it's so self-indulgent you know mm. at some point and it's lazy and so cream calls it quits and yeah. clapton's like i gotta do something more earthy so what does clapton end up doing well uh initially he you get the delaney and bonnie right oh was yeah it delaney and, was delaney and bonnie before blind faith uh, no, oh, ab- it was blind faith. Blind then faith. De- oh, because I think because wasn't it that Delaney and Bonnie were on tour? They were touring with Blind Faith, and that's where he made that leap. Yeah. So right. then you have yeah, Blind Faith. So he links up yeah. with Steve Winwood, and the the story of it is great because like Steve Winwood comes out of the Spencer Davis group. Yeah. Another you know originally kind of bluesy based R and B. That uh, album is killer, man. Uh, it's like that that bright orangey color. Oh, is, of the Spencer- is uh, Steve Winwood on that one? I'm a man. I think he is. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. You have, uh, I think Autumn 66 is another one. Uh, but yeah. So yeah. anyway. But good, man. So Steve Winwood. I mean, he has chops. Yeah. And he's so young, too, at the time. Right. He's like 16 years old, man. And his brother is also in uh, the Spencer Davis crew, uh, Muff Winwood. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he links up with and Steve then Winwood. Traffic after that. So he yeah. forms traffic after that because you know one gets more experiment. Clapton kind of is you know they kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, the real link with him is this album right here, Mike. It's called uh, What's oh. Shaken. Yeah. So this is before Cream even, but um, this is important to kind of we're gonna dial back here. There's an album that was put out. Um, if you look it up online, it's called What's Shaken by Lecture Records. Um, it has the first recordings of The Loving Spoonful. Mm-hmm. Um, has the only recordings of the super group called Eric Clapton and Powerhouse. And that has Jack Bruce on bass and uh, Steve Winwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, uh, I think the drummer is also from the Spencer Davis group. I don't know his name off the top of my head, okay. but, um, look up this album. It's called what's shaken the Paul, Paul Butterfield blues band plus love and spoonful, Tom rush, Al Cooper, oh, Paul, Paul, Paul Butterfield blues. Yeah. Band, this though. dude, this, this <sighs> so is so good. And this is some of the first recordings from Paul Butterfield as well. Mm. So seek this album out. It's a really great, uh, you know, com- completion piece really, mm-hmm. um, from Electra records. Um, and so this is where really Eric Clapton met Steve Winwood and really started jamming. Um, and that was made for this album and nothing yeah. really came of it there because Eric Clapton formed cream right after, but, um, they had already played. So this is the history of that, Yeah, you know, so, so after, that's, there's the link, right? So they kind of do like lazy finding though, and they get ginger Baker and I, this, well, is, this, this is why I think this band does not last. So blind faith opens up. Like they they record their album right, yeah, and then they play the Hyde Park to a hundred thousand people, and like instantly Clapton's like, oh, I hate this. Like you oh, could like yeah. see it. You can see, yeah, he's not. He doesn't seem to be enjoying himself. Uh, but to to backtrack, yeah, I guess the 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 story of the Ginger Baker thing. Clapton didn't know 
that Ginger Baker was supposed to be the drummer. Oh, really? So they show up to the studio or whatever, and like Steve, as the story goes, as I have heard it, was that Clapton shows up to the studio, like where they're going to, like the jam area, whatever, the practice spot, and um, Clapton's just like, hey, so like who'd you end up finding to like to be a drummer? And like as the story goes, like right around the time where Clapton asks who's the drummer going to be, Ginger Baker just comes barreling ass down the road and just pulls up in his car, and he's like, hey, you know, like, and the typical Ginger Baker, uh, the typical Ginger Baker way and Clapton was like oh god damn it yeah like, because I mean if you on. don't know like Eric Clapton I mean for all like his you know eccentric you know habits or drug whatever but uh Ginger, Ginger Baker, Baker is primal he's like a monkey primal crazy man oh like, yeah he's absolutely oh, insane we'll put it this way we can say this that the documentary beware of Mr. Baker yeah that, 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 that's what I'm saying like if but the just the title of the documentary itself is speaks volumes to the type of person that Ginger Baker is which the yeah it's beware of Mr. Baker and he actually has that sign had RIP but he had that sign out in uh, in front of his house where it says beware of Mr. Baker you know and the, the opening scene to the documentary is him clubbing the documentarian like in the head with his cane breaking like, his nose yeah threatening that he's going to send him to the hospital and, and all that he stuff, did because you know? he, he broke that dude's nose yeah 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 you see there's a cut there's a picture afterwards that he's like caught on the bridge of his nose anyway but that's the thing is that yeah ginger baker was very much just like you know what i mean he's i feel like he is like a soul brother with like keith moon you know and just that like just crazy outlandish kind right. of a personality and um clapton's like at least like, one I, just, I see is more like kind of like maybe more shy more laid back yeah yeah and that well i mean reserved the great the i think the greatest part of that documentary is like there's like a cut of, of ginger bacon he's <laughs> like i love eric Cla- he's like i love eric clapton he's like my brother he's like my soul brother whatever whatever and then it like cuts to clapton he's like do i even know ginger baker i don't know you know and you're like he's oh like, my god i was like i wouldn't call him a friend yeah, by any means you know yeah it's not to that extent and you're like man there's so much it's like you know <laughs> An- but animosity yeah because ginger baker is he, just crazy just a hard dude to deal with man like he's a big personality you know right so like that blind that blind faith record comes out and it's another super group for clapton and yeah. it's like you know i think he's instantly disillusioned but it has some killer more laid back like we were talking yeah. in the country not country but like more groovy like maybe the songwriting's yeah. a little more there yeah absolutely more focused still, on still riff rocking um i for me what makes it heavier it's like ginger baker's drumming is just so heavy and busy and yeah. jazzy and kind of like well you listen to had to cry and he does these like yeah you know what i mean he doesn't just like lock into a groove with but like a had high, to cry know? one of the greatest guitar songs of all time yeah. i mean oh my god i love that song me too i love that song i mean what, what this record is great i yeah. love the presence effect. of the lord yeah i mean Clapton solo song. on that one, and yeah. uh, Clapton sings that one as well, right? Uh, no, Steve Winwood sings oh, yeah, that, you're but, right, you're right. but Clapton Eric Clapton, wrote he wrote it, though. Right. You know, which, speaking to Eric Clapton and his life, like, let's talk about what's happening in Eric Clapton's life at this point, which is, like, it's it's the beginnings of his infatuation with Patty Boyd, who was George Harrison's wife. Right, and George Harrison also collaborated with the Beatles on the White Album in 68, playing uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah, Clapton. He's great friends with George Harrison, best friends. Right, they were best friends, so he's like in love with his best friend's wife, so there's, and, and like just his life leading up to that point, you know, in general. Um, you know, so the, the, here we kind of have the very beginning of what would end up becoming what is kind of like arguably his like magnum opus, which 
I mean, I at least for me, it was you know Derek and the Dominoes. But we're skipping ahead a little bit. So yeah, like Blind Faith forms, and they end up touring really fast, and there's a lot of hype behind them. The Hyde uh, Hyde Park concert happens. Uh, that's on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, Blind Faith live at Hyde Park. It's like an hour long. It's really good. And it's it's on uh, the live thing. Is it's made? It was made into an album, and it's on most streaming services as well. So right. You can and, I mean, it's that. it's great. I mean, it doesn't sound bad. They they Clapton's like we were under rehearse, blah blah blah. But and, yeah, but you it's can cool. you can hear that though because I I listened to it and I'm not gonna say that I was like disappointed, but I was kind of like it's just the magic for me is on the album, not on the live. Right. You know, I don't know. There's just something about it's just it, it felt good on the album. But like live, you can like, like under rehearsal. Yeah. And you can you can just see in Clapton's face where he's just kind of like, I think fr- he seems frustrated. Right. Because he's just like, oh, I'm trying to just do this thing. And like, it's just not exactly what I want it to be. Right. Cause you you're, know? I mean, you're still playing with like Ginger Baker, who's got that like play through you kind of thing. Right. 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 And he's and that's he's the very vibe much... I get. Play, it's like the play through you instead yeah. of play with it. We're like two. We're talking like Keith Moon. Keith Moon played to the song mm-hmm. more than I mean. He would play through you, but it was for the song, right? At, to some right. extent, you know. Where Ginger I mean? Baker was just like, "I'm Ginger Baker," right? You know, so I have to. He's like really caught up in his Ginger Bakerness. You right. know what I mean? Uh, his 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 ego was you know. Whew. Right. You know, crazy. And, but. and so they tour the U.S., you know, and then they start playing Cream songs, and then they start playing Trap, you know, Spencer Day. And it's just like, Clapton's like, oh, this is turning yeah. into Cream all over again. Right. It's kind of and like moving backwards. while they're on tour, Delaney and Bonnie is the opening act. Yeah. Um, and they're playing a more, you know, like out of, you know, the band kind of laid back, more R&B grooves. Right, right. Um, and he starts sitting in with them. I like opening up for you know with yeah. them playing with them you know and he becomes like he comes all on board with them so he ends up hopping on a tour with them and they release a live album uh Delaney, Delaney Bonnie, Bonnie and, and Friends yeah uh it's w- got like the old like uh like that right. 30s style car right I don't know what model car that is I'm sorry for anyone who's listening who's a car aficionado I have um, it so- I have it yeah I guys. saw it it was in the stack I don't know it got lost in the stack somewhere um yeah, this was an album that I mean I have absolutely listened to. However, uh, did not get a chance to revisit it as I wanted to. Um, the sad part is, is I kind of like remembered not liking it, but I definitely think that if I went back and listened to it with kind of fresh ears again, you know, because I mean you did, and you're so, like, dude, yeah. you're like this album actually like kicks pretty good, like yeah. So I when I first listened to it, I think I was more on that like cream, like trying to like listen to everything Clapton did, and then when it was right. different, I was like, man, this is challenging. Yeah, right, you know, right. kind of thing. And uh, and it really isn't challenging. It was just not what I wanted to hear right. at the time. Um, so I cleaned up this bad boy. I put it on, and I really liked it. Clapton's playing awesome on it. And this album, it's called Delaney, Bonnie, and Friends, um, on tour with Eric Clapton. And it's got some kicking players on it. It's uh, got Bobby Keys on sax, some oh, Rolling yeah. Stones. Yep. Um, is Jim Gordon on drums? Who's on drums here? Uh, you know, Delaney, Bonnie, Dave Mason on guitar. Uh, yep, Jim Gordon on drums. Yep. Uh, Bob Whitlock on organ. Who would go on to? Yep. And Jim Go- is Jim Gordon also the drummer on uh, Layla? I want to say yes, but I'm not 100% I'm almost sure. positive it is. But when we get there, which is very soon, everybody, we will yeah. definitively tell you. But yeah, you have all these great musicians, you know, on here. Rita Coolidge on vocals, Bobby Keys, like we just said. 
uh, you know, Clapton, Dave Mason. It, the lineup on this is amazing, and this is more like a soul, soulful kind of thing. You got more, uh, you know, bluesy stuff, but it's more laid back, and it's where Clapton wanted to go. And I really liked the playing on this record. I thought it was really cool. It uh, also reminded me of Mad Dogs and Englishmen mm. with like the ensemble playing. It, everybody's like really. It sounds like everybody's having a lot of fun. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And for me, I always like Clapton in a side man. Like if when I feel like he's like playing with somebody who's like his par, he can kind of like chill out more and like play play for like the song or whatever. And yeah. I feel like that's why why Layla is so good. And then I really listening back, I really love this Delaney and Bonnie record. I thought it was really cool. It's a great listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it like, I mean, I, I'll I'll totally agree with you on that because I think that. And again, I mean, dude, listen, it's on, you know, that the the Clapton is God, right? People are writing this down. Clapton is God. And like the, you know, like the uh, like the 16, 17 year old kid aspiring to be a great guitarist place in you is just like, oh, my God, they like me. But at the same time, then you have to like, you know, you have to keep, you know, you have reputations to to kind of hold up and. You know, they, they they would throw around like all these words that's like genius and you know innovator, virtuoso, and whatever. And I mean, he he referred to himself as like a pseudo virtuoso because he's just like no, like stop, you know, like. Right. And I think right. that because also this whole time he would like shout out like BB King and you know what I mean, like live at the Regal and yeah, you know, pointing back as well, you know, yeah, being like you know I'm. Like yes, I play this, but like yeah, have you ever listened to BB King? I'm like, not the guy. Like right. the guys are BB King and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy, yeah. Wa- you know, Muddy Waters, Bob, Buddy Guy. Right. So to a certain he kind of like changes his style up too, like you know, and kind of just ends up playing switching to the Strat, which really kind of changes his sound. Like we were saying before too, he he dro- definitely drops the psychedelic act with you know Delaney uh, and Bonnie. And right after the on tour album comes out, he releases the uh, first Eric Clapton solo yeah. album, which yep. is what I think that's 1970. That it's comes 19, out. I think it's April of 1970, and, and then Derek and the Dominoes comes out August of 1970. Right, and Brownies on the front cover. Um, and yep. that's really an extension of the On Friends tour. That first Eric Clapton solo album. Yeah, there's a lot of the same players that are on this record are on that, and uh, it's more yeah. of a, like a laid back thing. It's uh. It's not like a bad record, but for me and Mike, it's kind of like signals the beginning of the end where like me yeah. and Mike really don't like like uh, Ocean Boulevard. No, you know? none of that. And the thing is, well, I will say this, although that his OK, although his switch to the Strat, it was kind of, in our opinion, his undoing. This is kind of the first time where we actually see what would end up becoming the fad in most boutique guitar collectors things, which is basically saying oh, okay, we're going to do a limited run. We're going to get the original, I don't know what it was. It was like a 19, you know, 58 or whatever Stratocaster that was Brownie. Right. So this is this is the thing where not only does the guitar player end up having kind of this sort of like mystical quality about him or her, but it would then go on to become 
the guitar that they used would also kind of became like this mystical tool, you know, that it was like, oh, Brownie, like this is a who's what's Brownie? Who's Brown? Oh, that's his guitar. Oh, right. Okay, it's on know. the cover of his first solo album. Right, right. And, which is and on year two, Clapton like kind of writes more of like the singer songwriting e vibe, right? Like that. I don't hate the first him. album. Me either. I think it's like I think it's pretty good. It's a solid listen. Yeah, it's not bad. But the thing is, is that you you listen to Derek and the Dominoes, and that that yeah. album to me just has that little bit of like refinement it's so much better for me and the thing is though too is for me Derek and the Dominoes uh Layla is is what is the driving force behind that album which is a love stricken man so I think that the artistic vision on Layla is so much more like high high uh oh yeah high gloss on it because it, it has like so much more emotion on it where like the first Clapton solo album, which is like you know it's good, but it doesn't have that like it's almost like reserved, right? Well, to I a think point. yeah, I think that the the first Clapton album is just a result of like Delaney and Bonnie being like, hey man, like you have a halfway decent voice. Like, did you ever think of maybe just right. becoming like your own songwriter and just releasing your own album? And he's like, mm, I guess yeah, I guess maybe I should do that. Like, I'm not super confident in my voice and whatever, but I guess I should do that. And he does it, and I think he goes, oh no, I can do this. So now let me just piece together like every great right. musician in my in my uh you know uh, my uh, atmosphere whatever you know within my whatever and then we have Derek and the Dominoes but again it's just that perfect melding of not only top-notch musicians but also an artistic vision that Patty Boyd would serve as kind of like the his muse you know because he was and, infatuated with Patty Boyd like, and too like the artistic vision of the band not being Eric Clapton and blah 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 the band's called right. Derek and the Dominoes for a reason because he didn't want yeah. you to know that he was the driving force behind it right and so like you have that artistic side of it too and like when this came out this album flopped like Derek and the Dominoes oh yeah is, it was not well received it's a double album too as well so like like you know it's there's a lot of material on it um you kind of got like the blues standardy thing yep. throwback, but it's all themed around this like infatuation with George Harrison's wife, Patty yep. Boyd. And that, you know, uh, really rises the occasion on the song Layla, which is, you know, the classic riff, the classic slide solo. And like, you know, let's talk to that too. Is, is Dwayne Allman really coming into the picture and like helping Clapton like reach this, this, you know, Absolutely. statement. And, you know, Derek and the Dominoes, too, is Jim Gordon on drums. Yeah, I was right. Bobby Whitlock on organ, which really formed out of that uh, Delaney and Bonnie stuff. Yep. You know, and then Dwayne Allman. So they come down to the U.S. to record this album, you know, Derek and the Dominoes. And Clapton meets up with uh, uh, Dwayne Allman at an Allman Brothers show. I think he attends an Allman Brothers concert. Yeah, he's, like, and, blown away. Right. So, like, we were talking, like, the Beano album is so influential, right? And those guys, like, the Allmans listened to that record and yeah. were so influenced by it. So Clapton goes down there, and he's like, they were like, oh, you want to go see the Allmans? Um, and, and Clapton's like, Oh, that's that dude that plays on the end of uh, Wilson Pickett's Hey Jude. Yeah. Yeah, take me. I want to see that guy play the guitar. Yeah. So they go to the Almonds concert, and uh, I guess the story is Dwayne, when he saw Eric Clapton, the audience was such a, like, was so starstruck. And, like, he was in the middle of a solo and just stopped playing. And uh, the other guitar <laughs> player is Dickie Betts, right? Yeah, Dickie yeah, Betts. So yeah, so Dickie Betts, like, looks 
over it. He's like, what the heck? So he like just picks up and he starts off soloing. And then he saw Clapton and he got so afraid that he had to turn around <laughs> and keep soloing. So like, he, well, like, yeah, he had to man. pretend I mean, he wasn't there. That. Think about that, though. I mean, there is he that I mean, for for pretty much every other guitar player who would follow. Uh, they, you know, again, if Clapton's I mean, so influential, yeah, and that's the thing is like, I, I, I can't even imagine how scary that must have been, you know. But the Allman Brothers, just to speak to them real quick, what I think makes them so unique is that I think the um, the advantage that say maybe like Dwayne Allman had, which was was very similar to say the advantage that Mike Bloomfield had, which was that by living in the states and being around. Uh, sort of these hubs of like blues music where Mike Bloomfield was in Chicago and right. likewise Dwayne Allman in, uh, down south in Florida, um, that they were able to actually like go in to uh, these like blues clubs and hang out with like these like these kind of like original blues guys you yeah know? and so, really pick up like the actual essence of what it was right, a little right, bit more right, yeah and Dwayne was famous for his slide playing he, uh, he was one of the best slide guitar players that had ever lived yeah he's like yeah, I mean and especially absolutely. especially if we're talking the electric you know like yeah. you know white version of the blues I feel like you have Alan Wilson's slide playing yep. and then Dwayne Allman is like the next one absolutely. Alan Wilson being from the uh the band can't he King's, yeah. King's the Boogie. Yeah, don't sleep on Canned Heat either. A great American. Yeah, that's we're, we're going to do that episode coming up soon. Wait, we have Alan to. Wilson's one of my favorite guitar players. Yeah, so he like did so he's much. like a, one of the greatest slide players that has ever existed. And then you also have uh, Dwayne Allman who innovates it with you know he has that. What does he play? Les Paul, right? Yeah, he's got a Les Paul. I think he had a he had a gold top, and I think he had a burst. Yeah, too. and it, it's just like he really creates that whole like whole era of like. His slide playing—I don't think anyone's ever played better. No, I don't think so. And and in the and and how proficient he became in slide playing in such a short amount of time too—that's right. that's the kicker. Where you're like, what? He like figured it out in like a year, right. and then all of a sudden he's like the one of the greatest slide players to have ever lived. You're like, what? So him and him and Clapton meet after that show though, and they really talk shop, shop and they bond really fast. And yeah, they become very close. Friends. It's a perfect storm. They both have the opportunity to in the you know to go play together in the studio, and they really push each other, and they're having a lot of fun. I mean, if you look on the inside of this album. It just looks like they are stoned and having a great time. Like every yeah. picture is like them, like with squinty eyes. And I will say though, you that know, they're they're in the studio and they look like they're really they're really working hard to make this album. And, and I mean, and this album's amazing. There's yeah. so many classic songs on here. Around this time, though, and I think it, adding to the uh, the idea that Luke and I have, where it's like the beginning of the end. At this point, this is where Eric Clapton is introduced to heroin. Yeah, so you also know. that's happening as well. So that's kind of happening in the background. So here you have this heartbroken man who is just like trying to write this piece of music to express his love for Patty Boyd. Um, and th- at one point, okay, so the album is made, right? And he like brings it to Patty Boyd and he plays the song Layla for her. And she rejects him. Right. She's like this, you know, and you hear interviews with her and she's like, oh, my God, it's like it is. It's amazing. It's incredible that he would write this for me and it would be so amazing and all that. But she's still like, no. And I think that's where the spiral starts out happening, because 
kind of in a way, it, sort of in the sort of like hiatus that Brian Wilson took when he kind of like lost it for a little bit. Eric Clapton does a very similar thing where he like yeah he drops out and yeah it, until like you know uh, Pete Townsend kind of was his champion to bring him back because Pete Townsend yeah I think was also struggling himself with like alcohol and other substances. Oh yeah, but that's so Clapton does kick heroin. But yeah, then but he, I think it's in like seventy three, seventy four, like the Rainbow concert is yeah. his comeback. But then what you have is an alcoholic Eric Clapton because so yeah so basically Clapton what he does is he swaps out one addiction for another he's like oh I kicked heroin but now I'm just slamming drinks like and you can even see there's I saw footage uh, where he like kind of comes on stage uh, during that uh, that show that was supposed to be like his comeback or whatever and Mm -hmm. you could he's loaded right he's so drunk which would end up leading to kind of a controversial part oh yeah because he um, said some very unsavory things yeah he said some like really yeah like just not not good stuff because at the time you know i mean politics are politics man you know you're talking about things like immigration and stuff and this has always been happening you know politically speaking and stuff and i guess at a show he made some remarks that were very much like anti-immigration and like kind of racist stuff you know i know I, I believe they were overtly racist yeah they were definitely they were de- definitely right ra- like yeah his terminology which of which he he you know he he made it he came out with a statement after the fact and stuff like that and you know like he obviously was good friends with like bb king and everything like that but i think i think what what we really had in that moment was just, just a man complete downward spiral yeah just unraveling drug Unra- addict exactly drug addict alcoholic you know like just but, not even caring like but just, don't don't hard times make good music like layla is I like mean, layla is like such a statement of like you know yeah. that bad feeling dude but let me it's so, I mean, it's so like i mean bell bottom blues like like the soloing the singing oh, yeah. on it like oh yeah yeah it's just so you know every it's so emotional and, and like, it's i mean it has isn't that idea sort of resonant with most people in other words i mean i'm not going to assume but i'm saying like there was definitely a point in my life where you know even though i was like a young man like you know early 20 like late late teens early 20s where there was the the it seems to be a common story where it's just like you kind of have a crush on your buddy's girlfriend <laughs> you know what i mean like i think that kind of a thing happens just as a part of growing up you know right. what i mean like i'll let like young because everyone's confused nobody knows what's going you know what i mean so like but this was this i mean clapton obviously took it to a different level Yeah, this is the best like i you know it's it's like uh my yeah. best my best friend's girl like the cars like it's that right, same kind right. of vibe but like this Absolutely. is like i mean how heartbreaking does layla get you know what i mean well and that, i mean even about my knees like, yeah you know, like do like, i am i do i have to crawl across the floor to you yeah do i have to beg you to take me back you also, know i, I mean, don't want to fade away like no, it's, it's, nobody knows you when you're down and out yeah. tell the truth why does love have to be so sad <laughs> like you know <laughs> yeah which we, is interesting too because in re- it, now george harrison in response like i mean he he kind of wrote what's funny is that like they were best friends but george harrison also wrote a, a song like uh simply shady right you know what i mean <laughs> and stuff like that where it was like pretty blatantly just like hey bro like you're my best friend but like also you're kind of like playing a weird game here yeah but the thing is is that george harrison was cheating on patty boyd anyway like he was <laughs> yeah of you know what i mean it's like of course it's free love it's the you know it's mm-hmm. the late 60s early 70s everyone's just kind of like doing their thing so 
Um, but yeah, I mean, also like the Strat sound, I don't think Clapton's ever sounded like, you know, better on here. Yeah, like, that's the, the best the, Strat sound I hear. And it's like Clapton. out of tune and wonderful at some points and like sloppy, but like in its, I mean, in its own wonderful way. Yeah, that's the thing. It's definitely got a vibe. Like when this record came out too, this record bombed. Like this record did not do well for no, Clapton. No. So not, I mean, think about that though. Think about the toll that it takes on the man where it's like, here he is, you know, he's love stricken. He, he writes this album that he is like this is a manifestation of like everything that this is the this is everything coming together for me and not only does the album fall flat on its face in terms of its reception but also the woman that he wrote this thing for rejects him so it's just that's the perfect storm for him where he's just like yup and he just falls off the wagon right hard 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 i mean patty eric clapton and patty boyd would eventually end up finding each other anyway and getting married and stuff but the thing was he was in the middle of an like it's like he finally gets her right and and then then he doesn't even want it anymore yeah yeah, whatever Yeah, yeah that's the thing that gets you about where you're just like dude what but but again i mean that's that speaks to you know uh, like maybe mental health and like what's a taboo thing and what's not especially like around that time period and like what would people think you know so it's like there's more there's so there's so much more to it Mm -hmm. than just basically like oh he likes this girl and she's like no and then he kind of loves like oh i'm real sad yeah there's a a lot going on yeah a lot going on you know and and i think that tragedy even like the rejection from his own mother and all that you know it's like it all plays like heavy into this absolutely whole myth and then like this whole album comes out and yeah. it's like you know it's got a lot of lore to it there's a lot of like yeah. lot of feeling in this yeah but i but and to, it's, a, it's a great classic rock album too like every song is yeah. like so, i'll say this so classic i i had a uh one of my older one of my older cars luke will remember it i had a, a an old like bmw 325i and in the back i had oh, like the so six, scary oh yeah it was a scary car but anyway in the back of it there was like a six cd changer and i'll tell you what the one album that never left was that one yeah. that album that cd was always in there i'd switch out all other cds and and like put different stuff at cds guys look them up they're like they were a thing um i'd swap them out <laughs> here we are talking about vinyl and then i'm like yeah cds you well, ever heard c- of them cds were our era everybody they were our actually era, yeah. if, if we had an era it'd probably be we were late cds uh, early mp3s we were definitely on the mp3 thing yeah for sure um but yeah that album like never left you know and i think it was because uh it is, man. It's just, it's just such, it's such a beautiful album, and yeah, I mean, the guitars are out of tune. I remember I was talking to our buddy Jeff May, who's on the last episode. Uh-huh. Uh, always, always is like, ugh, I hate that record. Yeah. The guitars are out of tune. Yeah, but even, even, uh, shout out to Dan over at Mystic Disc. I remember talking to him, and he's just like, ah, God, they, you know, they were just all doped up, and they couldn't even, they didn't even remember to tune their guitars. You know what I mean? So it's like, yes, that's true. But also, like that like makes sometime, an aesthetic. Yeah, and I kind of, I, uh, I kind of dig that. Yeah, if you ever like, not watch, the dope part. But, no, you know, the, yeah, <laughs> the the pain is art kind of thing. It's there's uh, also some Charlie Parker sides that I uh, learned about from uh, Ken Burns Jazz. Yeah, where like uh, when Charlie Parker went out west, he got like really strung out in heroin, and he was uh, you know an alcoholic. And uh, he has this one session where he goes in and he plays, and they have to hold him up because he's so drunk. And he's like, yeah. he play, but he plays this ballad, man, and it's like the most tender, it's the most like heartbreaking, yeah, tender, tender thing you've ever heard in your life because it's so real, yeah. And it's got, you know what I mean. And then it's like, oh my god, you know, it's got that like, 
embarrassing story behind it but also like the heartbreak is such powerful art you know at the oh, same yeah, time and yeah it's like dying on the like dying for your art you have to you like die into it you right you know. and we're, we're not saying that like that's like something to look forward to and like you know what i mean it's not something you aspire to be you know like a drug addict we're not saying that what we are saying though is that you know these people did have these problems they did have these kind of uh, yeah and we can't rule out the human issue you know in other words we can look at music in a very stale way that's just kind of like this is how i felt about this album right but it's like we know you know that that's not the like there's so many other things contributing especially when the outlet is art right any sort of an art form you know like and um yeah, that I don't know. That album does it for me, and totally yeah, for, for at me. least for me and Mike. I mean, like I, I I like like the Unplugged album. I'll, you know, I'll put that on maybe once in a while because yeah. you know the versions are cool. But like for me, you know, I'm not really into like Clapton's. Uh, I'm gonna quote unquote yacht rock him, dad rock, yeah. contemporary rock. Yeah, I mean, let's call you know, it what there's, it there's is. Nothing, it's like there's pop nothing, rock. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, and he's very successful at it. But like for me and Mike, who are mostly we are the rock listener. That yeah. this is probably where we would like kind of draw the line. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, as uh, yeah. Aerosmith would say, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, but the thing is, is that like these these sorts of tragedies and upsets, like I mean, that would kind of follow like his whole life. And like, I just wanted to speak to something real quick, which was kind of like, I mean, okay, Tears in Heaven, right? We look at that song. Now we're skipping way ahead, but like, let's just kind of umbrella in basically uh, four six one Ocean Boulevard up to present day, right? Because I kind of lump all that stuff in together. Right. Like that's for me. That's the, the you have these defining albums and moments in Clapton's career, and then you have solo Clapton, which is kind of just like, meh, you know. I mean, but let's talk to. Let's also be fair. Let's be fair. Yeah. It's myth for me and you, but people love the album Slow Hand. I think that's 77. Yeah. That, I that's mean, a that, great that, comeback album for him. Yeah, that's got some good cuts. Like, it he does went have on to some do good cocaine. cuts. He went on to do... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he definitely well, <laughs> went on to do some cocaine. <laughs> Dude, that documentary, My Life in 12 Bars, there's like a scene where he like he does like a bump off of like a knife oh, and you're gosh. like oh my god and he's just very much just like just hot and sweaty and just like Ugh. you can see he's all strung out oh my god um but yeah no there i mean there are some good cuts um but for me like tears in heaven was always a song that like i looked at like okay it's very sad so for those of you who don't know tears in heaven the 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 uh the influence behind that album is basically that like okay so like when he's with patty boyd he ends up finding another love interest who is like i think was like a model or something like that i can't remember i think it was like an italian model or something anyway long story short they have a they have a child together and uh you know, it's this kind of like revelatory experience for Clapton where he's just like, you know, I got to clean up my act. Like I have a son now and I have to do all that stuff. Long story short, uh, I think like two or three years later, um, uh, the the uh, the mother is uh, visiting like a friend or a family member or something in like a high rise in New York City. Windows open, kid falls out of the window and it's like on the 52nd floor. Yeah, or something incredibly crazy, tragic. You know, yeah. And his son dies. Um you know, and what's crazy is, is like, it's interesting how music has this weird thing where like, for me, Tears in Heaven was always kind of like this schmaltzy song. And right. I don't mean it in disrespect because it's about his dead son. So right. like, I'm not trying to like be that guy. But for me, I was like, I'm not really into this. Right. But like now that I have a child. It hits you a little different. I listened to it. And I was like, <gasps> you know, like, it, dude, when I was watching the documentary, when it got to that part in the documentary, that was really hard for me to get through. Right. Because I'm just like, oh my God. Like, so you are, see- are you saying that you might relate to him more that you have become like a father and like yeah. now that you were into like his more rock, his like more like a 
you know, raunchy, kind of like, you know, heavier yeah. stuff. And now you're you're like, oh, I kind of like can relate to his like contemporary yeah. adult rock. That's like I listen, you know, that song Cats in the Cradle. Like you hear that <laughs> song. Like, I mean, OK, it's kind of like become like a meme of itself. You know what I mean? Right. Or whatever. But like after you have a child, you're like especially like a son, you know, because there's this kind of like bonding thing between father and son it's like this whole thing you know like every every son every father not every father but like you know it's always like the the father-son dynamic whatever anyway the point that i'm trying to make is that like yeah man i heard tears in heaven and like i saw that part in the documentary and it like re- it kind of like tore me up man it was really really hard to watch because like i ha- i love my son so much and like to think about like eric clapton who like was going through all this stuff you know he had all these issues and everything and like here's right. his son who is like this blessing for him to like clean up his act and then the son dies so you're like it's just it's such a heartbreaking thing you know and it's sad that like that sort of like loss and tragedy and rejection and all that stuff would just kind of like follow him around his whole life until i mean obviously now where he's got like you know ferrari building him like a custom car things are a little bit different for him in his life i think but i but it took it took a lot to get there i think right. for him and you know? uh you know on the positive like you know on the up and up too, like Clapton uh, made like a great charity, I think, where he like um Oh yeah. Uh he I know he sells a lot of guitars and I think he, he it goes to people with I think addiction, I think he does. Yeah, he um from what I have He does like seen, the crossroad festival goes to that too, I yeah, think, right? Yeah, and he I think what I th- the big thing was like because I, cause, I mean, it's on. You can find it on YouTube when you go down like a YouTube rabbit hole, which basically just kind of like, oh, Eric Clapton's uh, guitar auction collection or whatever. Right. He sold like most of his guitars yeah, to open up. Yeah, almost everything. Yeah, just yeah for the sake of opening up a, a, a rehabilitation center and stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, Clapton, he has. He's done some good with his money because I think that he definitely experienced he was in the clutches of addiction. So I think that he, you know, he he he's made some some pretty good contributions to uh to that front which is dealing with addictions and stuff and you know, I mean that's yeah. Well, you know. yeah, and that's where we're going to kind of leave it for Clapton for today, but Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, we're going to move on to our other segment, I think. What are you what have you been listening to, Luke? Why don't you tell us? What have I been listening to? Uh, last night I went on a crazy zombies kick. I listened to a lot of zombies. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. Uh, my girlfriend Chelsea has uh, an original pressing of the first album, like the U.S. copy, uh, The Zombies. She's not there. So I put on, that on, and oh, it's in glorious mono, and it's super clean, and it was one of my White Whale records you know, to find, and she's got a copy of it, so I get to spin it. And I really enjoy it. Uh, so I spun that. I spun Odyssey and Oracle yesterday. I spun the Zombies' last, uh, like, unreleased album, Rest in Peace. I went on a whole kick. Uh, and, you know, I love the Zombies. Zombies are one of my favorite bands. Uh, I've been spinning that. I'd, what else have I been listening to? Obviously, I, like, you know, listen to a lot of Eric Clapton. Um, I, we did that episode on Prague, so I was still kind of on that Floyd kick. I listened, yeah. But I listened to some earlier Floyd. I listened to, like, C. Emily Play, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah, you know. Right on. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I've been kind of like I've been like lazy listening You've lately. Been lazy listening. What, yeah. what's, what's some lazy listening? Lazy listening is just kind of like putting on like Grateful Dead, Europe seventy two, and just like letting just it dead roll. Head over here. Just deadheading it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like you know, um, I've been 
pretty busy, so, you know, sometimes it's nice to just, like, throw something on that I don't really have to pay attention to, but to have, like, some decent music in the background. Uh, the I did kind of go down, like, the uh, like the 90s hip-hop rap rabbit hole the other night where I listened. Oh, I've kind of been on that kick, too, Yeah, man. where I listened to some Mob Deep. Uh, the album Hell on Earth is, uh, I mean, is a great, is, a, is you know, a, a really great, fun album. Uh, listen for me, um, very much, like, uh, yeah, because that came out in 1996, and then like I also did Wu Tang Forever, which I believe was 97. Uh, these albums were really important for me in a way because um, I had um, a cousin, one of my older cousins, Jimmy. Shout out to Jimmy, uh, who was very much into this music, and I actually distinctly remember the first time I ever went to Greece was in 1997, and that was around the time that Wu-Tang Forever came out, and, like, my cousin having that album and, right. me, and me just being, like, because it was, for me, it was, like, kind of, like, the forbidden fruit, right? Because oh, it was so... Ex- bad words Yeah, it was stuff. so explicit. It was so very much, like, you know, edgy in that way, uh, along with Mob Deep's Hell on Earth, which came out in 96, but, obviously, that was in the, in the collection as well. Um... So, yeah, it's like, I don't know, well, the Wu-Tang Forever album is just like, it's so good, and um, I don't know, I just, I love them as a group, I love uh, RZA as a uh, as a producer, right. you know, um, and then just, just some kind of like Bob Marley and the Wailers, I listen, oh, right I listen to some Marvin Gaye. Oh, I listen, you know what else I listened to this week? I listened to uh, Bringing It All Back Home. The Bob Dylan record. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, guys, I love that record so much. Uh, Maggie's Farms on there. Uh, Bob Dylan's 115th Dream is like one of my favorites. Like uh, it, Mr. Tambourine Man on the B side, uh, one of the you know greatest records. And uh, you know, I I know I love that record, but I put it on the other day and I got to listen to it in like headphones, and it really was like quite an experience. I really enjoyed that one too. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah, like, man. So that's been that's been about. I've it. also kind of been doing some lazy listening, maybe some like com- more comforty food where I'm not yeah. like I'm not like oh trying to listen to anything crazy. Yeah, getting deep into anything. Yeah, yeah. I just I just try, that's what I've been doing, man. Just trying to keep the mood light, you know. Because I, I like because I I mean I I work second shift, so like when I get up in the morning and stuff, it's just nice to just throw on like some Bob Marley and like make some breakfast and kind of like do the morning thing. It. You know what I mean? Oh, just to get a good vibe going. Man. You know what just else to get I something... listened to the other day? I listened to concert for Bangladesh. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I listened to like a lot of it. Um, and Clapton plays on that too. Uh, you know, everybody should listen to "Beware of Darkness." I think it's the best cut on that whole record. Yeah, uh, Leon Russell takes a a verse on it and, uh, with George and Clapton's on it. And yeah, it, yeah, cool, very cool. Yeah. I, also, I'm, if you want to listen to some like Clapton and some of his dark darkest days, is uh the concert for Bangladesh too, because that's like right all that oh, period. Yeah. Like I we're believe... talking right around uh. You know, I think I that's during, 72, 71, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think that during that uh, one of the... Because I think that was a run of shows, wasn't it? I mean, we have the one recorded concert for Bangladesh, but I think it was kind of like there was like a mini tour that I, happened. They played a couple of things. I'm not super sure, to be honest but with you. either way, I, I had heard a thing where it was like, yeah, during the concert for Bangladesh that Clapton was so drunk that he like collapsed oh my gosh and they like revived him and he and then he finished the show like he actually ended up like playing <laughs> playing out you know finishing out the show or whatever but yeah that he was just so out of it that he like just yeah he, you know he like fainted or passed out or whatever and they had to like kind of bring him back too oh my gosh no so. i love concert bangladesh so you have uh leon russell playing jumping jack flash on there you got yeah. Billy preston uh, and, George Harrison playing wah wah yeah. with like bad fingers, like the most of the backing band. And yeah. you got Ringo and uh, 
uh, Klaus Vorman on bass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Klaus. So, I Klaus. mean, it's such a great, great record. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of sloppy at points, but it's so cool. And it's that so album, cool. that album, real quick, oh, I think it's safe to say, is that like that kind of gave way to the, um, like the charity yeah, concert, like the, you know, your farm aids and, you know, all that we stuff. We are the world. Yeah, that all that stuff. I mean, Concert for Bangladesh is kind of where that whole. Yeah, so check that out too. Like from. George Harrison, uh, that George Harrison doc oh, is amazing. Uh, yeah. Also, Ravi Shankar set and the Concert for Bangladesh. Oh, yeah. Possibly my most favorite Ravi. Yeah. Ugh. It just makes me feel so warm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's the only way I can explain it. Like, I listen to it and I just hear, like, if the you're, love. If you're into Shankers. the sitar music. Yeah. yeah if that's that, a- that record's pretty cool, man. You got a whole side of Bob. Yeah. Uh, and you got George backing him playing, like, cool slide parts yeah. and stuff. And even, dude, even, I mean, if you want to talk about it, like, think about the album cover for that. It shows, like, yeah. a starving child. Yeah. You it's, know, it's a real, you know, powerful yeah. statement. And now, oh, that was something that we didn't talk about either was like the cover for uh, Blind Faith, oh, the yeah. original cover, which was a controversial cover too, where it depicted a underage girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like a topless underage girl holding a hood ornament of like a car or something. Yeah, like an old car. It's supposed to show like the, the, in the, the childlike innocence versus like the industrial complex. I mean, sure, you could go with that. I'm, that. I'm so used to why I didn't even think of that is I'm so used to seeing the cover, the US cover of this, oh, just yeah. them on it. And that was the one I was looking at when we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely forgot all about that. that that's another uh, cool, or not really cool, but uh, interesting. Interesting, yeah. Uh, little like tidbit to look up is the original blind faith album cover that actually got banned in the u.s yeah yeah it it is rather graphic to some extent yeah i mean it definitely is yeah (laughs) it's explicit but uh but anyway so i think that about wraps it up for this week um thank you so much for listening also we have a youtube page up yeah uh check it out Uh, you just search get in the garage all the links are in our bio like the instagram bios and stuff like that yep um Uh I'm Julius Records on Instagram, so yes, check that out. I am E underscore M underscore T underscore one. Whatever. Yeah, sorry. I'm gonna get to change that at one point. I, you know, it's the weird Instagram move where like you change your thing. And no, it's I like, never. Ch- I've changed it once. I know. I know. Uh, my my Instagram name used to be a Bright Eye song. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I, I you know, yeah. I named after my cat. So mine used to be bearded bearded morrison i like maybe that i'll one change better. that one back i'll change it back to that one at least it's familiar i suppose <laughs> bearded morrison anyway <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in guys uh any questions comments suggestions anything you want to hear us talk about obviously you can always hit us up on all social media platforms as well as g-i-t-g podcast at gmail.com uh and uh yeah thanks for tuning in support your local record stores support your local record stores guys we'll see you next time bye-bye Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Make sure to share, like, and subscribe to the Get in the Garage podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and a bunch more. Uh, You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or email us directly at getinthegaragepodcast at gmail.com for any questions or topics you might like to hear us cover. Thanks again, guys. See you next time. Get in the garage.